Um, I do want to uh, direct your attention to a couple of things. If you're on uh, version on your phone or tablet, we do have some forms on there. Uh, you heard Christina mention earlier that our website is the best place to go, and it is. But we do have some links to those places in version. if you want to take a look at that. Um, if you're a first-time guest and you want to uh, let us know that you've been here, that way we can get a record of your being here. We can reach out and follow up with you. Also, just ways to get involved. You want to know what kind of ministries we have going on here. Uh, also, if you want to um, submit a prayer request and just want to have people praying for you, that's something we're going to do at the end of service is we have an opportunity for people to come around and pray for you, but also during the week. If you just want to kind of let us know what's going on, what's on your heart, um, and and that, so that we can be praying for you, there's a, a link to do that on the U version uh, notes for the sermon today as well. Um, so let's just kind of kick back into things. We are in week 18 of the parables. Uh, this is this is my second message in this one, which has been really cool. These are I've really enjoyed our study in these and just really getting into the nitty gritty of what Jesus uh, taught and the words that he gave his disciples and now that we have. Um, in the Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, last week, just to kind of recap for you guys, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins and just kind of wanted to highlight some things that we observed there as we uh, get ready to level set for this morning's message. Uh, firstly, and this wasn't the first time we looked at this, uh, the parables are about the kingdom of God. Every one of them points to the kingdom. Secondly, the virgins represent the church, both the wise and the foolish. And the truth that we have to, it's sometimes hard to embrace or consider is that there are church congregants today, then and today, uh, who know Christ and there's those who don't. Um, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's, it's something that we do, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not about punching a ticket to heaven kind of thing. We've talked a little bit about that. But hopefully, now I will say this. We're all in different places. We talk to our students a lot. Real, real quick, I should have already said this. Um, if you're new and you don't know who in the world I am, my name's David and I'm our student pastor here at Journey. Uh, my, my lovely wife, Stephanie, who is up front, but has also been on the keys this morning, um, is my uh, very necessary partner in that because we would not have the ministry with our kids that we do without her. Um, but just to let you guys know, that's something we talk a lot about with our students. We talk a lot about our growth and how... We are at different places uh, where somebody is in one place in their growth and their sanctification and others in the same group are maybe further along, maybe further behind. But that's OK, that we're supposed to be edifying each other and building each other up in that. And so I say all that to say when you have a room full of people of some who may be really walking closely with Jesus and others who are taking the first few steps, that's OK. All right. just want to make that point about that observation. Uh, thirdly, last week we looked at and said those who are not truly prepared for Christ's return will run out of time. Again, another difficult yet true point. And that's a lot of what Jesus is trying to tell us in these parables is that we are to be prepared. That's some of what we're going to look at uh, with a little bit of the parable today. Preparedness, what does that mean? Preparedness means authentic spirituality, personal faith that cannot be transferred, and an act of faith that is preparing for the return of Christ. So, and let's unpack that further. Being authentic in our walks, being authentic. We can say we're spiritual people, right? Well, what does that even mean? There's an authenticity that comes of that. Do you, do you say you are, or do you, can somebody look at you mo- Monday through Friday when we're away from here, and can they see you living that out? That's authenticity. 
The second one that's kind of difficult, it's not really kind of, it's, it's very difficult. And for, especially if you're a parent, you'll feel me on this, a personal faith that cannot be transferred. We desire for our kids to know Christ. And, and seriously, this, uh, this is a true story. This morning, so Stephanie got here earlier, obviously, to, to rehearse with the band. Um, as you know, Mark and Deez are out of town. I probably wouldn't even be up here. Um, and so they live probably five minutes from us. And so I've been over taking care of their dog and with, of Emma's fish. And I actually took Rebecca, our little uh, two-month-old, near two-month-old daughter, with us. She'll be two months tomorrow uh, with me. And um, to in an effort to two-sided thing here to keep her from crying, but also to have some meaningful words. I was talking with her on the way over here. Um, I know she doesn't understand what I'm saying, but still. Um, she, yeah, there's some reception. I don't, it may not be a very you know, good one, but that's okay. Um, but I just, I want to go ahead and start putting those words out there for her and to let her know what my desires for her as her father and, and to know uh, for her to know how much I desire for her to know Jesus one day. And I, I know she's two months old. I get that. It's not the first time we're going to say this. But to go ahead and start, because what, what happens there, if you, if you don't start sooner, you get to a point, and by the time you maybe start to pour into your kids, maybe it's too late, and they've gotten their attention, you know, they've given their attention to others, and it's not healthy. Um, so I realized my, I might be pulling the trigger a little too soon there, but still, it was it was good to get to, to just to talk to her, even though she's sitting there maybe cooing and hopefully not crying on the way to church. But we can't transfer our faith. We can, we can lead and, and teach our kids and others and, and just live that out. Um, and with that, an active faith that is prepared for the return of Christ. We must be active in our walks. So let's shift gears and we're going to get into today. Uh, Ken was up here. He read the parable for us. It's the parable of the rich fool. I want to kind of just really quickly level set with you guys. What, what did we observe in the text um, before we get to this? If you haven't already, uh, do uh, if you'll get, pull your Bibles out and go to Luke 12. That's where we're going to be. We're actually going to read uh, a good bit of Luke 12, including that text uh, this morning. And so if you just get to the start of the chapter, you'll be in good shape. Um, so just so you know what's going on here, not long before we get to this story, um, Jesus is actually, if you recall the story where he's at Mary and Martha's house and Martha's running all over the place, getting housework done and stuff. And Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus teaching. And of course, Martha's compare, or excuse me, complaining about the fact that she's busting her tail and Mary's just sitting there. And Jesus says, you know, Mary is, she's taking in what's good right now. So that's happened. Shortly after that, we have the scene where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. We commonly call that the Lord's Prayer today, right? So that happens a little bit before. And then as we shift gears into uh, chapter 11, just before we get into our passage today, um, after Jesus has been teaching, one of the Pharisees invites him into his home and just kind of you know, probably wants to hear more of what's going on. And he notices that Jesus does not perform the ceremonial washing before the meal. And so he proceeds to raise the question. And so after that, Jesus essentially unloads on these Pharisees and basically calls them out for their strong adherence to this outward expression of illegalism. Well, it does have a place. But he points out the fact of the, the, the darkness of their hearts, that they are on the outside, they look great because they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, right? But inwardly, they're dark and they're wicked. And he's pointing that out. Well, this goes on and we get into the beginning of chapter 12. And so I'm going to start reading there. 
um, what happens is this, this um, I don't know what the, what the word is. Basically, Jesus is kind of lit, lighting into these guys and it, it, people start to take notice. And we get into chapter 12. If you'll read with me. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples, first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, wherever you have said, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are, are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Let's pause there for just a second. And we'll get into the, the, the actual parable for today. So we see a couple of things there. After this conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus has, is warning his disciples about being aware of hypocrisy, about saying, looking one way, but really and really being another way is what he's referring to. Another thing we see here in this passage when it comes to acknowledging Christ, and we see this elsewhere in Scripture, specifically in Matthew 7, which is one of the scariest texts you'll read, where Basically, people who think they know Christ and are standing before him one day, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you, if they are not true in their relationship with him. So this isn't the first time we encounter this. But he does say, he mentions this, but also he mentions that the one who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit that's, will not be forgiven. What that kind of means is, because sometimes we hear that and we're really wondering, what does that mean? So Jesus is performing all these miracles, and we've seen this leading up to this point. A lot of the those who who are denouncing his claim to be the Son of God attribute those miracles to the devil, and so and we know that those miracles are performed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to say that that is of the devil, that's what this is talking about. Just so we kind of understand what's going on there. Also. Um, it mentions when he says that, you know, when you're brought before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself. Um, the Holy Spirit will always, always give you the words to say. I pray that right now for, for this message. Um, but we'll be careful how, how we translate that. Um, in this particular context, we're talking about uh, giving a defense for, you know, why these, these, why you might be brought in front of someone and, and why your faith may be attacked. It's a little different than me coming up here this morning and, and talking about this with you. Like I'm not off the hook to prepare for this. Does that make sense? Like, yes, the spirit is going to be the one that speaks and I want to get out of the way of that. But I still have as, as a, as a teacher, I'm still to do my due diligence because elsewhere in scripture, I know that I'm held more, you know, more accountable because I'm sharing this with you. So 
So we have to be very careful with with how we handle these words. Just wanted to kind of speak to that. Let's get into the rest of the uh, passage this morning, and we'll kind of talk about our actual parable. Let's pick up in verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I know Ken already read that, but we needed to revisit so we can get into observations here. So we see what's going on. Jesus is already teaching. He's already, he's already on point with the message that he's giving. And all of a sudden, we have this individual who speaks up and it, it looks to me, and I don't know how you interpret this as we look at what we observe in this text. It, it almost appears as though this person is kind of interrupting what's already going on with his own agenda. So our first, let me back up so I don't get off, off point with the slides up there. Our observations. Firstly, Jesus is teaching the crowds a specific lesson regarding the fear of God and acknowledgement of Christ in their lives. We saw that in the first part of the chapter. Okay. Now, this particular man breaks in with his own selfish agenda to attempt to push Jesus into the position of judging a case over division of an inheritance. And even Jesus himself says, you know, who appointed me a judge in this situation? It means a couple of things there. Number one, he's already got in mind what he's teaching to the crowds. Secondly, if he were to hand down a, an interpretation or, you know, a word to this, he knows he's not the legal counsel in this situation. Eventually, it's going to go in that direction. And, you know, we don't know where that would go because it, the text doesn't speak to it. But, but ultimately, he, he's not there for that reason. And that's kind of what he's trying to convey. Okay. We know through, the, if, we, if we take the entirety of Scripture and even just the Gospel of Luke itself, we know his main mission is the salvation of sinful humanity. It's not you know, to settle a, a, a little quarrel over, over dispute. And that's what ultimately is going to lead into the rest of our, our time in this uh, text this morning. Um, and I just kind of spoke on the third point without even looking at it. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was not going to be distracted from his mission of saving sinful humanity to settle a trivial quarrel, trivial quarrel over an inheritance. He did, however, tell all present, including the man who interrupted his teaching, what they needed to hear regarding the evil sin of greed, or we might look at this as covetousness, okay? And we've seen this before. Go back to the Old Testament. What does it say? We look at the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not covet. And we see this, in essence, revisited here. Um, and some of these guys have spoken up and said, you know, well, I've, I've honored these commandments and I've done, you know, this. And then they'll, even though they don't come out and say, you know, uh, that well, I've, this guy doesn't say that I haven't coveted my neighbor's belongings, his attitude to put this first really shows what's important, especially when Jesus is already talking about something else. Um, uh, this has been probably two or three years ago now. Um, I come from a pretty large family on my side. Um, most of my um, 
the Henderson clan. Uh, my grandfather's one of 12 kids, and all of them are very, very deep in their, their Christian upbringing. Um, they're also very stubborn about certain things. And uh, the reason why I mention that is one of my uncles, one of my dad's uncles, had passed away uh, a couple of years ago. And all of them, they're, while very stuck in, you know, uh, in some of the, the stubbornness of some of these things, they're very generous as well. And uh, he left behind a certain amount of inheritance. Um, and basically what happened is they, he made sure that his brothers and sisters that were still alive knew what he was going to do with it. And he kind of left it up to them to ensure that it was carried out. Um, apparently what happened is one of the other siblings had, had suggested to him, hey, why don't you do, you know, maybe do this with your, what you're going to leave behind instead. I don't even know what it was. It was, it was for a good cause, I'm sure. But ultimately what happened is that the other siblings didn't know about it. My uncle passes away and they start bickering over the, where does the inheritance go? And it's not because they were going to benefit from it. It's just because these guys over here thought they knew and they were right about it. And this one over here thought he was right about it. And so they, they fought over it and it was silly and it was stupid. And ultimately that's kind of the point is that that's what, when we get so distracted by something like this, by money, it can do that to us and it can drive a wedge if we're not careful. Ultimately, I can tell you there was, there was resolution and there was reconciliation there. And I was so, so thankful for that because my family now with that generation has, you know, my dad's generation and my generation. And now, you know, I have three kids. We're watching to see what's going on, right? We need to have a good example set before us. But ultimately, the, 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 just the legality of it, even though they were all well-intended, it still served to be divisive. And so we have to be careful where we have, yes, bless you. We have to be careful where, where our heart is in, in those kinds of matters. Let's continue on with what we see here. Uh, number four, a rich man's land was very productive. We read this. Now let's kind of see what's going on here. Now, number one, first we notice the man's already rich. He's already got a lot of provisions, a lot of stuff, a lot of grain, because we know this comes from a crop. So ultimately, if this story had not gone on the way it had, he didn't need to be productive to have what he needed and probably a surplus at that, right? So he didn't need to have a productive piece of land in order to enjoy the good things and luxuries that money could buy. Second, with what, and if you're not a farmer, but what, we've, what we kind of know about it, um, harvesting and gathering, uh, we have to deduce that much effort was already dedicated toward the goal of a great harvest, especially if this man was well off. And I say that to mean, I think if you look at this text, and we know that's kind of how his wealth has come, he's had to have been successful at it before, right? And so for that to be the case, we have to assume by looking at this text that there's been a lot of preparation. There's been a lot to go towards that end for for him to have a successful crop, all right? So, but notice again, He's already very, very well off. And we, now we do have this, 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 this abundance and production of his field here. Okay. Fifth point, there was only one person involved in the plans for this man's good fortunes. And it was himself. And how do we know that? Because if you look at any reference of a pronoun or anything like that, it all pointed back to himself, right? I'm going to do this. I'll do this for my, you know, so he was only, in this parable, was only thinking about himself and not any other way that it could have been used. Now, I don't know about you guys, and I know, you know, 
probably, I don't know if anybody in here even owns a barn, but just think about this. Would you, would you tear down, maybe not even tear down your house, but would you add on, like I can understand if you go by and spend a, a few hundred bucks on like a shed, if you've got a place you got to put some stuff, but would you tear down or completely put a lot of money into restructuring something just to put room for more stuff? That doesn't even make sense, does it? But this is kind of what we're seeing here. And further, it's only for him. There's, there's no mention of not just other people that could benefit from it, but certainly no mention of God and what he could do to give to him. Certainly no involvement of the kingdom here at this point. Sixth point, this man was referred to as a fool. Well, what made such a rich man a fool? Because he kept, he kept everything for himself, right? And even though... Now, Hear me out on this. Now, we talk about, and we're encouraged a lot today to save, and you, you know, like, I mean, Stephanie and I are saving for our kids, for their education, you know, that's, those are good things to do. I'm not saying don't do that, and that's not what the scripture is suggesting. But what it is suggesting is that you don't, you don't go through life, and especially if you've been, if you're, you're, you're blessed with these things, and not involve you're not involved God or others in it. You don't keep it all for yourself. And so for him to be foolish is the fact that he didn't know. And God says, your very life is demanded from you this day or this night. You can't assume that you're going to get to enjoy those things forever. And further, if you're only looking for your enjoyment and your fulfillment in those things here on this earth, you're totally missing the point of the kingdom. And we'll see what else the scripture has to say about this as we wrap things up in a little while. And we'll come back to this. Seventh uh, point that I kind of drew out of this. The parable ends by saying that one like this man is not rich towards God. What does that mean? Rich towards God. So I did a little digging as I was preparing for this week. And um, just to kind of see you know, what... What all is involved here? I think we can kind of come up with some things for what we would say being rich towards God means. But I did listen to uh, a couple of messages on this. One specifically was by uh, John Piper, who you may be familiar with. Uh, But a couple of points with this. um, To be rich towards God means that our heart moves toward God as though God himself is riches to be desired. Let me say that again because that sounded a little, I know it was a little long and I talk in long sentences and I'm sorry. Um, The heart moves towards God as though God is the riches to be desired. Okay? Not that we seek to become millionaires or we seek to buy this bigger house or buy a boat or whatever. You know, He's the end goal. He's the ultimate end goal. To be rich towards God, that means that in, in that moving, means that what the way we're living, the way we're working, the way we're providing for, we move in that direction. That's what we're saying here. Okay? We can't, excuse me, we count God as greater riches than any that the world can offer to us. What that is not saying, and what I'm not telling you is that doesn't mean you don't enjoy anything in life, okay? I'm not saying that. Um, Because I'll tell you really quickly, I'm a pretty happy guy after Tennessee finally got a win yesterday. All right? I'm also pretty happy that my Preds won last night, okay? So I enjoy those things, but ultimately, I need to be geared towards the kingdom, okay? I didn't, Leslie, I didn't say anything about any of your teams. Okay, okay. 
so, but I need to be, I need to be minded on the kingdom. I need to be moving in that direction. Okay. So, and if, and if push comes to shove, those other things that I might enjoy are always going to have to take a back seat. Second point, we move towards God as our true treasure and we sacrifice as necessary our earthly treasures while on that journey to show how much we value God. That's going to look different for different people. We read elsewhere, the poor widow who only has a, a couple, what we would equate to coins to give, and she gives everything. Well, if you are making six figures, that's nothing. I mean, you're going to give that in a heartbeat, right? And you're going to think, well, I gave as much as she did. Well, monetarily, sure. But as far as what you had to give up, no, not nearly that amount. So it looks different for different people, but... That should be our mindset if we are following Christ, that we move in that direction, that God is, as Marcus said, the the pearl of great price, that we are seeking him and that we forsake other things when, when the rubber meets the road in order to pursue God and what he wants for us. Now, we'll take a little minute here. Um, this, this text doesn't really speak to this, but if you consider the entirety of text and what Jesus is is what he teaches us. I think this will be a good place to talk about this. A lot of times we can get really trapped in going after other stuff. It's like you, you get to a place where it's, you just, it's just not enough. Like you finally obtain, um, you know, a certain kind of house we'll say. And, but then you want to have more and you want to have more. And at some point, if we fail to learn to be content with what we have, we're never going to have enough. And that's going to be the end goal, right? And that's just the thing. And we're going to look at this at the end of this chapter, how Jesus addresses this further. Not only should we, we, get, we need to get to a point where we're content with what we have. And if we have more and more is given to us, and if we're truly following Christ, we find ways that that benefits the kingdom and not just our own kingdom, if you will. Okay? And so, and again, that looks different for different people. But ask yourself that question. How can I, how am I, how can I be content with what I have? And how, if I'm given more, it's it's not to say that there's no enjoyment that you get out of it yourself, but how can that be used for the kingdom? How can that benefit others? How can that just, whether you're just straight up given to the church or whether you see somebody you need and you're giving it to them. And I'm not going to call it any names in this room because I've already done it once and I might embarrass them, but I know some awesome people that that's their heart. And, and they are very, very concerned. And the moment a need comes up, they're seeking to meet that need. And I, and I am so honored to call them my friends and to, to know them for that. But how can we be geared towards that, to being content with what we have and not chasing after what the world has to offer. Okay? Because if we get caught in that 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 web and that that mess of just seeking after more, at some point it, it's first of all, it's never going to be enough. We're always going to be unhappy because we're always going to be chasing after something else. That doesn't mean you don't set goals. I'm not saying that. But at some point you need to be content with what you have. And, and the way life is for you. And so that way, you know, whatever abundance you have, you can be kingdom-minded for that. But ultimately, we'll, we'll, we forget to be thankful, don't we? Like if we're always chasing after something we feel like we don't have, we're not thankful for what we do have. We've got, we can't have that lack of thankfulness creep in. 
Because God doesn't owe us anything. He's already given his son. And in a way that, that we can never offer a sacrifice. He, he doesn't owe us anything. He's given us all that he has. And ultimately, the more we pursue worldly treasures, we'll live in this place of anxiety of, of, of even if it's something that we, we, sometimes the lines become blurred between needs and wants, right? Like, you know your life would be so much better if you had this thing. And even though it really isn't a true essential, it kind of looks like one. And so those lines get blurred and we, we live in this angst of not having whatever that is. And so we'll live in this anxiety that, that God never intended us to be in. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Jesus actually speaks to that at the end of this text. But I want to put a, I want to share a few other um, scriptures with you guys where Jesus references just the way, the mindset we should, we should have and ultimately how he should be our treasure. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We probably all heard that before, right? And what does that mean? We live our lives in such a way where what we have before us is not the end goal. It's not the only thing to be desired. Does it mean you never, you know, have these things? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it, it's not the be all end all. Okay? It's not the ultimate thing to be pursued. A little bit further in, in Matthew six, he says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We hear that a lot, and we've probably talked about it in different circles and context. But basically, if you're wrapped up in one you're not going to be in the other. There's just no way. I mean, if you're, if you are truly seeking after what God wants for you and how you can be a servant to him, you're not worried about the money. Okay. The flip side is also true where if you are just worried about, and it it could be for seemingly good reason, but if you're only worried about what, you know, what getting more money and what it can get for you and stuff, you're missing out on what God could be doing through you and for you. And you, you, we can't serve both. Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. And I didn't rhyme that myself. That's just the way my translation did it. But And, and that's one of those things where we have to look at, because it's very easy for us to compare what we have with what others have, right? And sometimes we get caught in that. And that's another thing about being discontented. We get caught in a, in, a, in a dangerous place when we look at someone else and go, man, you know, I'm, I'm faithful, I'm, you know, I'm attending church, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm trying to witness, and, and I'm, you know, I don't have this nice stuff that this person over here has. And that's, we, you can't fall into that trap. Because if you do that, then you're going you're gonna to fall into this habit of comparing yourself, not in terms of what, only in terms of what you have, but also you'll look at this other person and you're going to go, why in the world do they deserve that? And I feel like I am getting less than they are. It's not what God intends. And even in scripture, later on, we see where we're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other. We need to be focusing on our own walk with Christ. And what does that look like? You know, God tells us he gives the grace as he sees fit to give grace. He gives mercy on who he, whom he will have mercy. 
That's his choice. It's not ours. And we can't judge him for that or judge other people for that. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus and your plans for and uses of your resources do not involve him and do not honor him, you've got a heart issue that needs to be dealt with. And there is repentance to be required. Now, I'm not trying to beat anybody into submission over giving here. That is not the point. But in some form or fashion, we got to honor God with what, he had, what, we've, what we've been given. Because it's not even ours anyway. God's called us to be stewards of what we have. The homes that we have, the resources that we have, all that's His. All of it's His. And we're here just to take care of it and manage it. And I'm going to tell you, I've not done the best job in my own context, so I, I'm preaching myself on this one, okay? But, we, but everything is His. And we all, we're here just to manage that. And we have to, we have to use the discernment the Spirit gives us and say, how can I do this well? And how can this be oriented towards the kingdom of God? Because we know that the kingdom is here now. We've already talked about this. It's not like we're sitting here waiting for it to come and we're not waiting for that magic you know, ride to the kingdom. It's here and we're in it. If you're following Jesus, you're in the kingdom and you're a part of it. How will you handle those things that you've been blessed with to bless others? And how can it be made use, useful for his kingdom? Let's pick back up in our text in Luke 12. Um, this is after, and this is kind of where I wanted to, I want to look at what was going on after this parable today. Because a lot of what we've been doing, and I, I, we kind of talked a little bit about what was going on beforehand, but I really felt like our text today really ties in well with what we see after the, the parable that he's, with what he's teaching us about not getting so caught up in being rich with worldly treasures and being written, the, the, the need to be rich towards God. What does he say about that? Because sometimes we can, we can get a little messed up and feel like it shouldn't be important at all. And he kind of talks to this. Verse 22, if you want to follow along with me. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more? worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. Don't, they don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, but your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've heard that before too, right? So, wanted to kind of talk about this because a lot of times we kind of get, we'll get a little messed up when we're told not to worry about money. And then we'll kind of immediately go to that place of, but I've got to feed my family. Guys, I've got a wife and three kids. I'm there with you right now, Okay. We, we go there and then we have to stop. And Jesus he immediately follows this up and says, 
God is going to take care of you. Don't worry about these things. Now, what that does not mean is you don't actively do anything. You're not sitting by idly just waiting for him to give you something. But don't worry about it and, and in such a way where you're, you're so focused on the resource that will bring provision to your family. God will provide that for you. And he'll provide it as you need it. That's, that's where we can get really messed up because a lot of times we feel like we know what we need, right? And if we're not getting that, then we're questioning how could the Lord possibly meet our need when our perceived need is not what really he would say that it is. So don't be anxious. Don't worry about the things that we need. At the end of this, and we've got just a little bit more. We'll talk about some application, and then we'll wrap up. We must be rich towards God. Our hearts have got to be moving in that direction. Our lives, the way we live, the way we manage the resources He's entrusted us with, we've got to be rich towards God. And He will ensure that His children are rich indeed. If you are willing to live by faith, he will make sure you're taken care of. And that, that's, this is another thing where we kind of get messed up in some of the teachings we hear. And this is not taught here, I can tell you that. But if you hear some of these, these bigger name guys uh, where there's, there's these, these jets involved and all this stuff, there's a lot of just false prosperity gospel teaching where they'll say, you know, if you'll just give and you'll pour into this and you'll be blessed and you'll be rich. And that is not true. Because if we look at what Scripture says, and specifically how Jesus talks to his disciples, he talks about the difficult lives they're going to live. And we may be as well. Now, here's the thing, and we talked about this here. We know by the way we look at the rest of the world, the rest of the believers in other parts of the world, we don't have it that bad here, you guys. We don't. But we could. And he tells us in his word that we have to be prepared for that if it's asked of us. And that's a hard part here in the West to wrap our minds around because we are not on the verge of that. I mean, you might be like left out of a, an invite because you maybe are a little too holy for somebody around you or whatever, but it's not like getting beaten for your faith, right? So we, don't, we can't identify with that as much, but we do have to be ready if it's asked of us. And I'm going to stop before I go down too much of a bunny trail to lose my track of thought here. But ultimately, again, if you live in faith... God makes sure that his children are, are rich in him indeed if we're willing to, to store up treasures in heaven. Um, I want to share a passage from 2 Corinthians, and we'll get ready to, to wrap things up here. 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 6 through 15, says, The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make you, oh, hold on a second. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I include that with this discussion today because this is Paul writing of people who are looking, they're moving in that direction. Their hearts are moving in that direction of God being that ultimate treasure and their lives reflect that. Okay. That's the example that we need to be following is to move in that direction. Again, that looks different for different people. I know that. And we've already spoken to that. But our hearts should be moving towards God as, our, as that pearl of great price, as Mark has said. So let's talk application, and we'll wrap up here in a second. That's the last time I'm going to say we're going to wrap up. So, band, if you want to do what you got to do, I promise. First, seek the kingdom. And all that we do, seek the kingdom. We just read, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Not everything you think you need, but what you do need. God knows what you need, and he will provide it if you are seeking the kingdom with your life. Adopt his perspective. This one's tough. Think, when you're looking at a situation, when you're looking, maybe somebody is, you know, on the side of the road that, and they need help, or if they are standing there with a sign, whatever. Don't, it's, we always default to our own mindset. You know, they need to get a job, or, you know, whatever. And, but adopt his perspective. How is he looking at that fellow daughter or fellow son? And what do we need to do there if we are following Christ? Adopt his perspective. Plan to honor God with your resources. There are many different ways to do this. And again, I said that varies from person to person. But in all of it, just ask yourself, what could I do for the kingdom with this? And even if you have to get into a brainstorming session with yourself, that's fine. But what could you do to honor God with what he's given you? The key there is remembering that he gave it to you, and that will hopefully keep a good perspective there. <laughs> Discipline and cheerful spontaneity have a place. Here's what I mean. When it comes to giving... Um, sometimes we just need to be in a place of, of discipline. I'm just going to make sure I give and I'm going to, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Just making sure that you are consistent in that mindset. That's the discipline. Spontaneity. Very, very thankful to say this happens here at Journey a lot. When we have somebody that comes up and they have a need, it is so amazing the response that we have to meet that need. Spontaneity. Being ready to answer that call when it comes up. Both have a place here. Fifth, be willing to let go of it. It's not yours anyway. It's not ours anyway. And that's hard because it's like, you know, again, I mean, if you're a parent and you have a household and some of your households are bigger than mine, I mean, you, it's hard because it's like, I've got to, you know, put food on the table and I got to pay the bills and, and what I'll have left, maybe I'll give that to, to the church or to God or whatever, or, or help somebody. But if, the, if you're doing these other things and you try to say, okay, how can I have this mindset? How can I honor God with what he's given me? That, that point really doesn't, it's not really a non-issue at that point. Because you're already thinking the way that he would have you to do. Last point, all of this has to do with love. 
Our Heavenly Father loves and looks after us, and we will have what we need. The only thing He wants from us is to love Him in return. Here's how I know that. When we read the the commandment in the Old Testament, and when it's reiterated by Jesus Himself later on in the New, Deuteronomy 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These, These words are... Sorry, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. So, yes, in the Old Testament, we have the law. And there's all these things that he he progresses to tell Moses to translate to the people. So, yes, there's that. But then when you get to Jesus being here, and this is what is reiterated and what is given. If we are doing things out of love, you guys, the things that we do are going to be what they're supposed to be. We're not going to need a list to follow. Is that, you're all tracking with me on that? We're not going to have... Because a lot of times we'll look at Scripture and go, I have this issue. What am I supposed to do? And you look for it in black and white, and it's just not there, and it's frustrating, right? But that's not the point. If you're loving God with your heart and with all your heart, with all your strength and all your mind, you'll figure that out. And it's not like you'll do it yourself. The Spirit's going to do that for you, okay? So if we love, love God with all that we are, this this stuff is it's not going to be like something we have to you know figure out on our own we'll just do it and that's the point all of this doing of things comes from a rich relationship with Christ and i just want to encourage you guys if you no, no matter where you're at today if you're at a place where you have an attitude with you know, whether it's about money or you know whatever um Maybe a, you know just a, an off mindset with some maybe somebody you've got a, a bit of a an issue with someone, um, and it doesn't honor Christ. If you're saying you're following Jesus, you cannot keep that mindset in place. You just can't. It's got to be resolved. There's got to be a repentance. Repentance is like this big word, like, and we feel like it's some some big thing that we're supposed to do. All it's just changing of mind. It's all it is. We don't have to get too wound up about it. Change, be willing to change. And if, you, if you're loving God with all your heart and with all your mind, your mind will change and will focus where it's supposed to. Whether it's about your resources or your attitudes towards people or whatever that is. But ask the Spirit to give you the right perspective and, just, and repent. Just move on. And if you think about it, what did Jesus, when he was faced with these things, when people had these terrible sins, Jesus' response is, you know, go and sin no more. It's, it was very, very simple. We complicate things in the church today, and there's, there's this thing, and sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but there's the, we make it a big issue, and it doesn't have to be. Just turn and walk the way you're supposed to, and love the Lord with all your heart and with all your mind, and just He'll, he'll take care of that, uh, the, the, the particulars for you. Paul tells the Christians in Corinth, when speaking of living by the power of God, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith and examine yourselves. I mention this because that's something we should be doing daily, you guys. Whether we're in a mindset of, of being so stuck on what we're, you know, our, our wealth or whatever, um, examine yourself daily. Examine your walk daily. Another thing we tend to do, and I want to encourage you to, if this is, if you've not made a decision to be obedient to Christ and to start taking steps with Him, I encourage you to do that today. A lot of times we tend to look back on whatever day that was and say, I've done that. Where are you now? Daily, examine your heart, test yourself to see if you're walking with him, if you're walking apart from him. 
If you're not walking with Jesus, whether you've taken steps in that direction or not at this point, we want to we want to come around and pray with you. Um, as you know, and it's funny, I haven't seen these people because I'm always sitting up here. I don't know who's behind me. So I see more of you guys today than I, than I normally see. But um, we want to pray with you if, if that's something that you need to, that you want people praying with uh, in your relationship with Christ, whether it's something that's new or something that you need to be restored. Please come and see one of us. We want to we pray with you over that. Um, I would just challenge and encourage you. Um, take to heart what we talked about today. And uh, especially, I know we're going to, We'll get into our small groups and stuff. I'm going to, unfortunately, we have plans. We're going to miss ours tonight. So I hope you guys have a, a good discussion. Um, but but wrestle with some of this stuff. Wrestle with some questions you're going to come up with, with this. And be willing to let your those people close to you speak into you and hold you accountable in some, some ways. Small groups are a good place for that, where you give people permission to speak life into you. And they're doing the same, so they're not looking down on you for anything, Okay. Um, I hope that's something, if you're not connected with our groups, I hope that you'll, that you will connect and you'll find that and see the authenticity that, that is there to be had. So please guys, if, if, if you haven't, if, if your if your heart's in a place where you need prayer and you need to, to turn, if there's something to be, to be resolved, please come and see someone to pray with you today. And I'm going to be, I'm just going to pray over us now and ask for that as the, uh, the band comes back out, we'll do one more song and we'll part ways for the day. God, our Father, we are so, so grateful and so thankful for the way you love us, for the way that you forgive us, even when we don't seem to, to warrant that forgiveness. We know your son's sacrifice was great. And we, if we remind ourselves of that sacrifice, it is anything that we do or any, any sin we have, the power of it is so insignificant to that sacrifice that he gave. And God, I just pray if there's anyone in this room today, Lord, that, that doesn't know the power of your son and of your spirit and that that has that tugging on their heart today that needs to, to respond, please, please don't let that person walk out of this room today without without coming forward and, and making that response. And God, if there's someone that's, with the things that we talked about in this parable, the rich fool, if our hearts are not in the right place, Lord, please let your spirit help us to just to show us where, where we're wrong and help us to right that wrong and to live for the kingdom as you called us to. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray you forgive us where we fail thee. It's in your name we pray. Amen.